2: The Telegraph.
0: the Telegraph. Podcasts.
2: Hey everyone, how was your weekend? Did you watch any rugby? You're once again joined by Ben Coles, that's me, Charlie Morgan, say hi, Charlie. Hello, Colsey. And Charles Richardson, say hi, Charles. Hello. We're back from France via plane, train, and a uh, uh, train again to recap a fun opening weekend of Rugby World Cup 2023, which uh, which translates as what, Charles? Uh, fun weekend of Rugby, La Coupe du Monde 2023. Marvelous, marvelous. Oh, yeah. you're, you're basically a local at this point. Yeah. Um, we'll also be hearing later in this episode from former Wales winger Shane Williams to get his thoughts on that wild game with Fiji and what lies ahead for Warrens and Gatlin's Wales in the rest of the tournament. Um, I was in Bordeaux. Charlie, first of all,
0: where were you? And then Charles, where were you? I was in Marseille, absolutely loved it. Vibe city, lovely weather, great stadium, fantastic atmospheres in, in both games. Wicked lunch at the beach
1: before a game. Never done that before. So, um, yeah, pumped to be back. Mm. I was in Paris for the build-up to the big one. Then, somewhat infamously, I was at Australia v Georgia on Saturday, which we'll come on to, and um, then shot down to Bordeaux on Sunday for the, the game of the weekend, um, Wales v Fiji, and then um, back, to, back to the studio yesterday.
2: I think that's what they call a, a tease in the game for mm. someone coming up later in the episode, Charles. Uh, look forward to getting to that. What's your, what's your highlight of the weekend, gents?
0: What's your fa- favourite moment, favourite try, Charlie? I, perhaps ironically, given given the pr- the problems before the England Argentina game, just just arriving at the Stad Velodrome for both of those games, and seeing kind of fans from both nations interact, uh, Pumas fans, quite a young demographic, absolutely just vociferous, and that game was always going to be really loud. Real shame, obviously, what happened with the, with the fans. I think arriving later, um, but then the next day for Scotland South Africa, it was it was sort of smoothed over, a bit of an earlier kick off, um, but that sort of Festival atmosphere, really good natured. Generally, um, that really felt like that the tournament had arrived for me.
1: Um, the uh, probably the the semi randrandra drop. Now we we were both there. We were but we it just encapsulated the drama of a complete you know how it's sort of slobber knocker of a match. After that match, we were the same. It's very steep there. Anyone who was in Bordeaux would know this. The stadium is very steep, and we were walking down the stairs at the end, and my legs were a bit sort of jellified, and I thought I was genuinely going to stack it down the stairs, and that was because of that sort of... Thrilling dramatic dramatic climax. You were actively complaining
2: that your feet were too big for the steps and you yeah. were, and <laughs> yeah. you were wor- worried about
1: falling off the edge of each step as you went. Very steep staircase, very tiny steps with size 13 feet. So do the maths. A
2: quick highlight for me was, was getting to Bordeaux on Friday and, and finding an excellent spot to watch France, New Zealand, but getting to this spot so early that we had to hold it down for about two and a half hours before kickoff and getting to watch all of um TF1 sort of build up coverage of the World Cup which was I, I haven't really experienced much of it sort of on a different level
0: M- Mika and and Seb
2: Chabal yeah at one point Mika the pop star and Seb Chabal together and also about half an hour of the France team bus being followed as if it was in like a high-speed chase <laughs> through the streets of Paris with like really wobbly motorbike cameras <laughs> it was just on it it was on a new level to what I'm, I'm used to and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it um Best game, quickly from the three of us. I, I, I think I'll I'll say Wales Fiji. It was quite hard to to
0: top. Charles. Yep. Total agreement. Agreed. Both of mine were quite compelling for different reasons. But yeah, that was caught that on the I caught the second half of that in my hotel room on the way back from Scotland South Africa, and would have really could have done with going to sleep actually. But there was no chance of that. <laughs> I, I hope that I mean that might end up being the best game by the end of the tournament.
2: I hope. In a way, I hope it won't be because I mm. hope we'll have more sort of zingers to compare it to. But that was a that was an awesome start. Um, I got I had a chance to speak to Shane Williams the morning after about that, and we got into sort of the nuances of that game, um, the, the penalties against Wales that that came up. So we'll, we'll dig into that a bit, but also how well Wales defended, how they sort of resisted what was an amazing comeback. And and he's got some thoughts as well on on how Wales are sort of using Lewis rees or not using Lewis rees and also what's ahead for the players from, from Gatland and the coaches after, once again, they left it a little bit a little bit late to just get over the line and made it a bit scary for themselves. Um, one of the other talking points on the weekend, of course, was the national anthems, which we're still waiting for confirmation on from the organising committee, but there's a lot of chat that the, the children's choir recordings might be in the bin and I'm going to guess, Charles, that we wouldn't mind that
1: because they they weren't great, were they? No, I mean, the the, the massiers on Friday night, I was there in the ground and it was just a complete butchery, Like from start to finish, it was, you know, it was not the way that you wanted to start the tournament off Because um, you're gearing up for that to be stirring Yeah, and it usually very much is I mean, um, so just I, we weren't out France-Australia in the warm-ups, but just chatting to a few of the journalists there, they said that the anthem there was the loudest they'd ever heard it, I was at France-South Africa last year in Marseille and that was sort of deafening um and also the welsh the welsh on land of our fathers um on the welsh anthem on, on sunday night the 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 track was just far too quick and the and the stadium with the acoustics of 45,000 people singing and it going from one side to the other like just three different versions yeah, going just on, couldn't keep up and yeah. i don't know what the players would have been doing on the field and they were doing something different to one stand to another stand to another stand to the soundtrack it was all a great big mess apparently um, I haven't watched the anthems back yet on ITV it came across okay on television but let me tell you it was not good in the ground. Argentina's wasn't too bad
0: live but I think that's partly because the kind of you've got that big long intro haven't you and then I think by the time it kicks in I think the, the fans sort of took over the kind of horror movie children's bit um, So home alone it, it was yeah well, shout. <laughs> no th- so that was that was actually all right um yeah but the others the others like actually greg greg Townsend got asked and sort of insisted we actually really liked it i think south africa were asked the same thing um but and and they were were sort of on the same wavelength they they said out loud that they liked it but no i wouldn't be gutted to see a change
2: that was what that was one of the post-match questions to yeah to yeah, both yeah you teams. get
0: well you get 15 minutes don't you and we've spoken suppose, about yeah. jesse creel's
1: non-red card and Missed chances by Scotland. So, what else was that? Do you think it's because Scot- <laughs> Scotland are sort of semi used to an a cappella version? Because at Murrayfield, the 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 bagpipes stop after the first 1st don't a- they? A cappella, so but good. A cappella, but good. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. yeah. I've written
2: a comment about it on the on the website. The um, yeah, th- they don't work. But respect to the kids for doing a cappella versions of the big build up in the Argentina anthem. <laughs> the respect and, to the kids and the and the Italy one as well. Um, gents, can you also? Um, use this opportunity
0: to plug a piece that you've written. What, what have you got on the go? What's on the website? Can you please read a look at, um, how England adapted to that? For, they, I mean, they've got no excuse not to be able to adapt to red cards now because they keep shipping them. But, um, I looked at how they scrum formations, just the energy of Ben Earl, um, a few nu- nuances in their kicking game. Um, Freddie Stewart not kicking from the backfield and, and linking with George Ford, who was kicking, so Freddie Stewart was more of a weapon on the chase. They can get loads better, obviously, and we'll get into that. There the way they moved the ball wasn't wasn't good enough um to, to go deep in the tournament. But hope well, they'll hope that'll get better. But the fundamentals of their game were just so much better and, and that piece looks at them.
1: And after Charlie's rapier, I come in with the bludgeon um i've written i've written a rant on the website about um refereeing at the tournament and how it's very very sad and depressing that after the first weekend which should have been glittering the agenda and the narrative has been dominated by officialdom and refereeing decisions and how it's not necessarily the fault of the officials themselves that rugby has got itself into a state where the 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 mechanisms of the game don't necessarily match up too well with the laws and the interpretations and it's the job for referees has never been more difficult and i just think that it's worrying because on saturday night for england argentina if you were watching that as a as a casual fan or even as a new fan you would probably have absolutely no idea why tom curry was sent off and santiago santiago carrera survived and frankly i'm not sure i could explain it to you philip we can use i've written a rant on the website it's like an evergreen evergreen (laughs) clip moving forward
2: speaking of marseille Let's get into it. Let's talk about England's win. It almost feels like weeks ago now, that Marseille game, because of what happened in in Bordeaux. But a truly impressive performance from England in lots of areas. Uh, Not all, but particularly with their physicality and their defence and George Ford's control of the game and how they reacted to that red card. Charlie, how... How excited should people be? And, and are we are we being a bit curmudgeon-y if we're like, yeah, but your attack's still rubbish?
0: Yeah, um, maybe yeah, because I think we we spoke last week, didn't we, about the areas of the game that we just felt so disparate for England? They weren't they weren't connected at all. Everything apart from that last bit, which is that ball movement to space, really was really good I thought post, post Tom Curry's red card certainly the energy on the kick chase the accuracy of that kick their fitness shock Ali Walters knows what he's doing mm-hmm. they looked really really intense throughout the game um, overran a side with with a man fewer um, for all but 10 minutes um, yeah they were excellent set piece Maratoji deliz- deserves a lot of credit for um, marshalling that line out scrum looked great with with eight players when one of three centres was at um, but blindside side flanker and when they had seven really interesting wrinkle to the game um Argentina only had two put-ins which would which and that was when England were going down to seven to keep um Manu Tuilagi and Joe Marchant in midfield but you know it it was it we want we were thinking like when is this England side going to exude clarity when is this England side going to look fit we got our answer they were those things certainly
1: yeah and <clears throat> Massive win for those who have been lamenting the disappearance of the drop goal as well and, you know, brought it back in, in emphatic fashion, George Ford. Uh, yeah, no, really impressed by England. I think I, I think they would have played the same way had they had 15 or 14 on the field and I think that's potentially the, on, the only negative that can be brought from that game is that is that going further and looking sort of beyond the quarterfinals now, I mean, surely they will be in a quarterfinal now, touch wood. I mean, I don't want to jinx it for them. Um but looking beyond that, maybe they might need to bring more. But it was, it was, it was a phenomenal start and completely blindsided most people. Um, although last week, not meaning to blow our own trumpet, we did say sort of on the podcast, we know it's been bad in August, but they might be building something and, and to keep the faith. I don't really want to get into predictions because that was the one that I got right and then the other two.
0: So yeah, I'm, I'm sorry if you put a fiver on France not to get out of the group, basically. I mean,
1: <laughs> or, or, or Georgia beating Australia. Um, but moving on. and um, But keeping on the theme of predictions, I'm feeling very ju- um, vindicated by mine after the complete shower that Argentina were of Samoa getting out of that group because that was one of the worst performances yeah. from a tier one nation I can remember for a very long time. In fact, they dropped more passes or more balls than than any Tier 1 nation since 2007, I think Opta said on Twitter last night. I mean, we're big fans of um, Argentina and we've got a lot of their players in our top 100 on the website, but oh, it was let's, a, let's real bad night, yeah, a real bad terrible. night at the office for them. They, St- um, Steve Borthwick's eyes
0: make you play badly, especially when they connect those 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 facets of performance that we talked about. But... I th- and I think a a, a lot of credit the, the drop goal strategy. Not only did it that's what happens when that scoreboard keeps moving, doesn't it? It Sows seeds of anxiety, and on a kind of sultry, humid night when it was difficult for moving the ball, Argentina had to move the ball more, and then that's a vicious circle for them. And they just couldn't they just couldn't get out of it. And to be honest, they were rat- rattled straight to the, the Santiago Carreras challenge. On Ford was just brainless, and that was mm. kind of you know where's that where's that coming from? There's just no clear thinking there. It looked like they were they were in the same mindset that England were in during England's warm ups. His yellow card it, it was obviously far from ideal for Argentina,
2: but his whole the whole selection of him at ten has been quite interesting over the last two years because it's been based around this attacking game and he's the one who gets the best out of them. It's not his selection is not necessarily built for structure. He can tactical kick obviously. But he's not the kind of... You would go for a safer fly half if you wanted that. And so I think, yeah, once they got behind and they were chasing the game against a defence that didn't work, they didn't have the same kind of 10 who could come on and
0: put them into the right positions necessarily to get back into it. Yeah, two, two things there. The, the, the sort of upside of Santiago Carreras at, at fly half was crystallised in the try that he, he sets up within that loop play at Twickenham last November. Yeah. They tried that again in the second half against England. Tuilagi was at 12 rather than 13. Tuilagi steams forward, smashes Santiago Chocobárez and it's a really kind of tone-setting moment for that second half and it kind of encapsulates what's been going on throughout the rest of the game. The other thing is his challenge on Ford. Um he's got away with the yellow card and no and no sighting. Super ironic point is that um Malia hit it's so similar to the to the Malia challenge on Grant Williams during the rugby championship, which was unpunished at the time, but then led to a two week ban. And Steve Borthwick doesn't go into these um instances during his post post match presses, but he did, he did say, Yeah, I was I was pretty yeah, surprised that, that was only that. a yellow and actually if you think about it. It's very similar to to an incident a couple of weeks ago, or a month or so ago, where somebody got a two week ban. So, and he sort of left it, mm. left it hanging. Um, but no, that's you're right, Colsey. That it was a sort of indicative of how. Santiago Carreras' performance was sort of indicative of, of what went wrong for Argentina.
2: Charles, um, Santiago Chucabarres or, or has somebody texted you with an alternative name for him?
1: Santiago Chacobales, so when he when he knocked on. Um, yeah, that one goes out to my father. Just one thing on, um, uh, on Argentina, just very quickly, is I think their entire night can be encapsulated and embodied by the fact that they had clearly spent some time developing what they believed was quite a sophisticated wall move. Which we were all very excited about when they set up for it, and then proceeded to make a complete and utter holics of it. Um, England defended it very well, but it did just look like I don't know, sort of a Pac-Man gone wrong. Sort of just people flying everywhere, just bodies everywhere, and it was yeah, no, it was it was really messy, really clumsy.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, we could spend probably. Ten minutes, absolutely tearing Argentina apart. I had the joy of doing player ratings, and I was checking out fours and threes, and even a two actually. Oh, he got that? Uh, I'll let you guess. Can you mm. guess quickly? Who mm. might have got a two? Tell me, uh, yeah, Thomas Gayo. Oh, of course, because Dan Cole had him
1: on toast.
2: said because because Dan Cole killed him, and then in attack he he made critical errors. at yeah. Terrible times when Argentina were actually in field position. Um, I want to I want to do something we haven't done. I want to lavish more praise on England. Can he... Talk to me, Charlie, about the physicality from Courtney Laws, Marotoje, Marotoje Vold felt felt like Marotoje Vold, didn't it? And also Ben Erland and how good he was.
0: He's, he's got a lot of heat, Marotoje, but he, if you, he's been consistently good when England have been really up against it. So Ireland in the in the 2022 Six Nations after Charlie Yule's red card, he was phenomenal. He was pretty pretty sneakily good in the in the at the end of the game against Wales that they. Pulled out of the, pulled out of the trash after after all of that, after all of that carnage, including Owen um, Farrell's red card. He's very good when you don't have the ball very much. That's a that's that just he's he's so so energetic, racks up a massive tackle count. He's so disruptive around the breakdown. Those were the things that he could do. Uh, alongside Courtney Laws was phenomenal. Um, I texted actually one of our editors during the game, during the warm up. I felt like he, as captain, he was always. I, I, after those warm ups, where he's taken, he's such an experienced player. Sort of, he, he would have taken that month to just get himself ready after a season where he hasn't had that much rugby, and he just exploded into that. Those two, Laws had to. I thought the turning point of the game, start of the second quarter, um, after that war move. Um, <laughs> I think it's Earl Itoji and Laws that smash Kramer off the back of the war move. Laws scra- somehow scrapes himself out of that breakdown through the legs of Thomas Gaggio, and he's on his feet after Jamie George and Oli um stop the pick-and-go of, of Junior Montage. He's over the ball, and I think it's Cadella that goes off his feet. Mm. Um, huge moment, and you can see D- Dan Cole is celebrating like he scored a hat-trick. Um, George Ford steams in, usually quite collected on the pitch, and is celebrating like, like England have scored a try. Um, it's a huge moment. I thought... Um, just to go back to the Curry Red, for Earl to be as prominent without Curry on the pitch, that's so impressive. Because that, that speaks to an energy where you're effectively doing the job of two quite similar all action flankers. And I think that might actually that's that's certainly a reason to mitigate England's sort of attacking woes, because I think they would have got Curry holding holding width out wide and like he did in the Premiership final. So um they might not have him now for a couple of weeks, but that's one that's one thing that they can they can hang their hat on, and that's where that area of the game will get better. Charles, can I just
2: come to you on, on George Ford's performance? Oh. I mean, the, the drop kicks were were great. The one from basically halfway was particularly fantastic. But also how he he moved England around. I can't remember who it was now, but somebody said it it should go down as one of the great England performances at in a World Cup game with how he sort of took charge of proceedings. Would you
1: would you chime along with that? A hundred percent, yeah. He was phenomenal. Um, He was the player that we've always seen on his very best days at club, finally translated uh, onto the international stage. We always know he had the potential to do it, and he has had excellent games um, in an England shirt, but none quite as uh, domineering as that, I think. And... um, I mean in it, it, nine points in oh, how many minutes What it have been ten minutes something like that those three drop goals that that was it that was game over even at the time you sort of it felt game over because Argentina had had chances they were man up and then in in ten minutes they were suddenly nine points behind going into half time they'd only had they only had three points to show themselves and then it was just all England from there it was all England I mean yeah and I'm I'm all for the return of the drop goal. I mean, I'm genuinely very, very shocked that I don't think any of us were expecting that. It was it was a it was peak Steve Borthwick really. It was tactical, it was strategic. The players found a way out for themselves. It was it was everything that we hadn't really seen much of with England in the warm ups suddenly coming to life with the click of a fingers, which everyone, including us, probably doubted could happen. It was sort of hidden
0: in, in plain sight because we've seen a lot of the social media con- content coming out of the England has being them just hitting drop goals, hitting drop goals, Smith, Farrell and, and Ford and, and Henry Slade before before he was sort of overlooked. Re- really interesting, but it's, so, it's that is classic Steve Borthwick is leaving one little wrinkle that you're not thinking about. And, th- and that's what he did at, at Leicester a lot, was those big games kept saying again d- during the build up to this game we are in the in the warm up games when they weren't going that well we are preparing for argentina left a little bit there just 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 as an add on and that when the rest of the st- rest of the game came together as it wasn't doing during the warm ups that added up to a really impressive performance there's but, more
1: than one way to skin a cat isn't there and uh, w- was it entertaining well, i mean it, no tries but i think it was entertaining and it just proves that rugby can be very diverse and very varied, and you can still find entertainment, and it doesn't all have to be about Fijian chucking the ball around, don't get me wrong, love that as well, but actually, I mean, I don't know about you two, but I was phenomenally entertained by England on, on Saturday night, not and as a, as a neutral, really, I, I wasn't, I didn't really have a, a dog in the fight, and I just thought this is amazing, and how, how innovative, really, How it was innovation, but very much the drop goal is a very big part of rugby anyway so it's it was strange It's like peak World Cup tactics isn't it like go go
2: to the thing which is going to guarantee you points in England after the Wales game in Cardiff and after the game against Ireland in Dublin the other areas went wrong but they, afterwards they would cite their lack of being able to convert territory into points as their biggest issue so what's one way to get points if your attack really still isn't working kick a drop goal and it w- and it wouldn't shock me if that's just how they're going to play it now. If they get in the twenty-two and they go four or five phases and they think actually we're not getting anywhere here, ball is slowing down in the ruck.
0: Well, let's just drop George Ford back and knock three points. Over. Don't even need to get into the opposition twenty-two. You can't have a no. Can't have a crap efficient rate in efficient rate in the opposition twenty-two if you don't even have to get to the twenty-two. Yeah, no, quite.
1: Yeah. And what do we think about Farrell?
0: Yeah, yeah, it needs to be talked about. Right. So one of the first reactions to to I think our readers was. Owen Farrell could never do that, which I kind of found I found seriously reductive anyway. But also made me think. I'm fairly sure he's been in in a lot of backs of the wall performances. And actually look back. So at back end of 2016, which again this game had gone t- totally out of my mind. Back end of England, uh, back end of 2016, England host Argentina at Twickenham. Elliot Daly gets sent off in the fourth minute. The, George Ford is on the fi- on the field for a lot of that game. Uh, but Owen Farrell's at 12. And if you watch highlights of that game, he's involved in a big. Turnover that, that leads to their first try and they end up winning. They end up beating Argentina really comfortably in a game that's actually pretty similar, except that they've got an attacking edge. Now, I think that attack. I think they move the ball better with Owen Farrell on the pitch and and having that having that forward and Farrell axis. Um, the pinch point for me is what they is whether that midfield is more vulnerable because I think they might be inclined to push too laggy to thirteen and we've just seen that get exposed, that Farrell on the on the outside, that far uh, that having too laggy at thirteen now. So it's a huge it's a huge, huge, huge decision and we don't actually have to come to it for another couple of weeks, do we? Because he's not available no, for no. the next game.
2: They wanted Ford Farrell against Ireland, didn't yeah. they? I mean, that was that was the sound. And, that, and actually, that's probably the way they wanted to start the World Cup with Slade not being in the squad. It makes sense that they would
0: potentially want to go down that route. Where they're at, all of a sudden, where England are at, is that I I think their supporters would hope that Steve Borthwick wouldn't think that Farrell coming back or Bully Vanipola coming back would be an automatic choice because he can tailor a game plan to to, a, to an opponent... And that doesn't have to have those guys on the pitch now, as as how as that performance has shown in its composure and in its kind of uh, convincing nature.
1: Yeah, I, th- I mean, I, I do think I do think Farrell will come back at twelve. I do think that in sort of gun to head now. I do think I do think Farrell will come back at twelve, and then it's about who plays thirteen. I mean, r- realistically, I, th- I think that Marchant Marchant went well, and I, th- I do rate Marchant a lot. But I think if it's Ford Farrell, has it got, not got to be Lawrence? Has it not got to be Lawrence for for, for more oh, sort of ball and threat? So well Manu is the playing so well. The last two games, they're just such so defensively prone with Farrell and Farrell and Manu though. That's the thing. I, I I I wouldn't want to drop Manu. I'm just thinking about the balance of the back line, and it's not a sort of it's not an individual criticism of of Manu or Joe Marchant. I'd have them both in my team if if I could. But but maybe Marchant pushes to the wing. But I just think that maybe with Ford Farrell, you might want the running threat of Lawrence and, and a sort of out and out. Outside centre at uh, uh, thirteen. Uh,
2: uh, just two points on on England to finish off this section. The first thing we need to talk about is the sort of chaos that fans had trying to get into the game. I mean, I think we all had friends or or family members texting us um, describing it. It's actually quite a scary atmosphere. Charlie, did you did you get to see any of that when you were in the ground? So
0: I was already in the ground, but saw saw it out the back um, and had yeah acquaintances kind of telling me how scary it was. Um, one. It's, it sounded like if the if the crowd hadn't sort of been inherently good natured, I think it would have been really really messy. Because from the Ramp Point de Prado, which is the the, the the metro stop that you come off in Marseille, and then you walk up to the to the Stade Velodrome, there are these steps that go up, and I think a lot of the queuing was happening sort of over those steps, and that could have been that could have been really quite horrible. Um, I th- it was cleared up by the next day uh, for Scotland South Africa, which. Um, we sort of we got a we got a statement didn't we a media statement saying that we we'd been assured that there would be a kind of better contingencies in place from the policing around the ground and it did seem that that was the case, although it might just have been that fans had seen that and had chosen to get mm. to get there earlier. It seemed like the the most of most of um the trouble was being experienced by people who who'd arrived at the ground at eight, sort of around eight um and then had tried to get in from there and had met a total standstill but I mean, it was still, yeah. I mean, it's it's really good that that was that was resolved. And I think by kickoff, there was it was largely full, Mm -hmm. um, but it did look very very worrying for a while. I'm sure it was very scary for people involved in that. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And and Charles, just the final point on this section is is looking ahead to Japan, really, to sort of quickly get an assessment of what we're expecting from that game. I, I don't think any of us are very high. On Japan, this isn't your 2019, no. 2015 Japan side who no. can threaten the, the the very best based on based on what we've seen of their warm up games this summer and what we saw
1: last autumn as well. And against Chile, where they only just sort of got by them, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, I think it'll be more of the same, more of the same from England. I don't think they'll try and reinvent the wheel. I think as you know, as most people know, stopping a drop goal is actually really quite difficult, and. So even if teams know what's coming, if they continue on with this drop goal um, strategy tactic just to keep the scoreboard ticking over against most teams, it, it, it should pay dividends for them. It, it, uh, it really should, because really all you can do to stop it, if you've got somebody who's very good at it, is get up immensely quickly, make sure you're on side and charge it down. But well, that's easier said than done. I don't. I think they'll be very physical again. Um, the set piece looks excellent. They'll certainly squi- try and squeeze Japan there. I can't envisage. Tons and tons of changes because they'll want to build momentum um, after a sort of underwhelming August period. So, um, but certainly, certainly sitting here this week in comparison to last week, there is a um, much more sunshine around England than the sort of August clouds. Right. Let's get into the rest of the weekend's action, and we're going to start
2: focusing on the arguably the game of the opening round, and it might end up being the game of the tournament. Wales against Fiji, and we're going to hear me having a chat with Shane Williams. Mm. Shane, thanks so much for joining us on the Telegraph Podcast um, It's a few hours after Wales' game against Fiji and Bordeaux, which was
3: lively to say the least, what are, you, what are your immediate reflections on it? Yeah, lively, that, what a word um, Yeah, it was his best game of the World Cup so far um, end-to-end stuff and you kind of expect that with Fiji really probably not the game Wales want to get drawn into um, however, um, what a spectacle and I thought the crowd was fantastic, I thought both teams absolutely gave it their all. I'm just a little bit worried about how much that's taken out of Wales, to be honest with you, but it wasn't the perfect performance from them. Um, in fact, they were quite poor in a lot of areas, discipline was certainly an issue, and I think Warren Gatlin's already highlighted that, um, but you know, they, they'd have learnt a lot from that game as well, and uh, all credit to Fiji, stayed in it right to the end, and... Uh, I think what was impressive for me as well. You talk, Gatland's been talking about the Welsh fitness and the fact they could finish games strongly, but you know I think Fiji were the stronger team at the end of the game there, and well they were the stronger team. So um, huge performance, but um, I do feel a little bit for them. But I also do think Wales did enough in that uh, in in the third quarter to to kind of win that match. But what a game! It's a good point about getting drawn into it.
2: Because at times it felt like Wales were almost trying to out of Fiji, Fiji sort of passing in their own 22 and we
3: saw Dan Bigger having a uh, a polite word with George North just on, on half-time, didn't we? Yeah, well, the game can always open up against Fiji because that's the style of rugby they play um, and they probably want to draw you into that game and why not when you're that comfortable with ball in hand? But yeah, there was a couple of incidents in the 22 where, you know, I, I was up on my seat saying, even I was saying, get the ball down there, get it out. But um Look, you know, Wales tried certainly um, with Dan. Uh, I've been there myself. I've had the hair hair dryer treatment off him as a young 18-year-old coming into the Ospreys, bossing the likes of me and and Aliwyn Jones and Adam Jones around when he, he hadn't even played a match for for the Ospreys. That's the character he is. He's a warrior. Um, you know, he he wants to win, and you know, just screaming at George North who's got what, 115 caps uh, twice. He had it twice. The treatment twice before half time there, but. You know, I'm sure he'd apologise to him for that, but, you know, if you can have that kind of commitment and that desire and passion from from all your teammates, then um, I think you'd do okay.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. We we spoke to Warren Gatlin in the press conference afterwards, and he mentioned that he he didn't actually mind seeing that from from one player to another, kind of keeping them keeping them honest, and, and also something we didn't know about bigger that it was it was his mum's birthday the day of the the game on Sunday, and that therefore there was a lot more kind of emotion behind it, this is his last campaign with Wales I mean how much are they going to miss him when he goes
3: Yeah look he he wears his heart in his sleeve doesn't he Dan and um, and bless him but uh, look they will miss him I think, Um, I thought he was superb yesterday Um, you know he grew as the game went on he took a hit early on as well, he was limping and and holding his his hip quite early on in the game but again like I said a warrior that just keeps going Um, he inspires others around him and you know if yesterday's performance is anything to go by then um, you know you question why he's decided to to hang up his boots for Wales but look yeah there there's there's good tens coming coming through the ranks you got Sam Sam and, and Anscombe that we will be learning a lot from him uh, during this campaign as well um and yeah it's it, it is a shame because i i i think you know i think there's a little bit more to come from from Dan as well not only as a, as a player and, and what he does on the field, but you know, to inspire others in training, his commitment, his passion. You know, there'd be tens watching watching his performance, young tens watching his performance. That yes, they thinking, you know, that's what I want to give to Wales. You know, I want to be screaming at players and telling them what to do and do what I'm doing, um, because he is an inspiration. But uh, yeah, he definitely be missed.
2: There were so many things Wales did well, so I sort of want to focus on those first. You mentioned the the tackle count. I I just checked it this morning. It's up to 253, which is absurd, really. And and 27 alone for Will Rowlands, which is an awful lot for a lock. That's going to drain a lot out of them. Jack Morgan's developed this ability to do crossfield kicks and and clearance kicks, which which I don't think was fully planned, but but came off... what were the big positives for Wales, sort of at that performance? It's just the strongest side we've seen Gatlin select. Obviously, the warm-ups was a bit varied, but when he had that first-choice team on the field, they, they looked pretty, pretty in control for the first sixty-five minutes or so.
3: Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, I think um, you know the they, they stuck to their game plan. Uh, they wanted to get their set pieces right. They were going to kick a lot. They were going trying to put. Um, Fiji under pressure and, and tie the numbers in and then go wide which they did um, Josh Adams try was a good example of that um, yeah Jack Morgan's crossfield kick it's not, it's not the prettiest kick he'll ever do or probably might be the last kick he ever does to be fair but um, you know it, it came off in the end and that this was all after a good sustained pressure for about 20 minutes from Wales um, when Fiji had controlled the um, I suppose the 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 second quarter then really um, look there's lots of positives to take from it certainly when when they did play the ball and they kept the ball well and transferred up to the tackle they looked dangerous um, so they need to take that into the next game but like I said earlier that there's certainly a lot the discipline was an issue There was, it was even though there was a lot of tackles you're going expect missed tackles I thought Will Rowlands was superb to make that amount of tackles he carried well as well Jack Morgan made a lot of tackles Gareth Thomas um, made 21 tackles, I, I believe, as well. So, you know, that just goes to show the commitments there. It will put them in good stead moving forward. I hope there's not too many injuries or niggles after after a battle like that, because you know there's bound to be. Um, but they would learnt a lot from that game as well, and what they are, they, you know, they, they're going to be hardened after that. Um, you know, sometimes when you, you, you play your first game and you win in by 40, 50, 60 points, you know you're not quite prepared for what's coming next, but. Uh, uh, they'll definitely be prepared for a big one after that Fiji game yeah. and,
2: and just on the discipline they sort of had that run of penalties where they were they were backed up on their own line sort of midway through the second half and three sort of kind of cynical fouls and, and maybe a touch, touch lucky to not get a yellow card there given that Fiji then up the other end collapsed them all and yeah it's cynical in a yellow card but I It should have happened to Wales just before.
3: Yeah, hundred percent. Look, I, you know, as as commentators, we were looking, thinking that like, um, there was a number of infringements for, you know, for penalties that were that were just cynical. Um, stopping Fiji get that momentum and that, and that go forward. Um, I think LED might have been lucky twice in a row where, you know, on his line he's he's given a penalty away there. Um, uh, but that you know that is the game. But. I think with with the Fiji, it looked like if that if that driving more, um, driving lineup would have kept going, it may have been a try. And I think for that reason, perhaps the card was given. You do feel it was just the timing of that penalty, I suppose. Um, and people will question that. But um, you know, I, th- I think with the ref, he was trying to keep the game flowing. He was trying to keep the game um, a spectacle as it was. But yes, I I, I do believe that uh, probably a yellow card should have come out earlier, and and it probably should have been for a red jersey. But it wasn't the case. Um, I, I can assure you this week in training, uh, Warren Gatlin will address that massively, collectively as a team and individually, because there were some players that were giving penalties away, cynical penalties or silly penalties, as, as Gatlin would probably call them. Um, and it was repeat defenders. So, um, yeah, they, they they learn a lot this week after that game, I can assure you.
2: Given the way the draw pans out, given how strong Wales looked for the first 65 minutes, th- they are contenders to sort of go far in this tournament.
3: Yeah yeah look everyone's a contender in the world cup it's it, it's a crazy tournament it's a fantastic tournament where you know you're going to have upsets you're going to have um you know teams that you usually expect to, to perform that are underperform you going to have you going to have teams who probably have have limped into the world cup and then uh, become world contenders and uh, and that's certainly the case that, that Australia could could be one of those teams certainly but Fiji has, has been on everyone's radar, it really has. And, um, you know, they're, they're a team where they've got class individually, and, and, and all of a sudden they look like they know, know what they're doing as 15s for 80 minutes. So they'll be, they'll be uh, a team people will be looking out for. Um, there's a lot of really, really good sides that can win this World Cup. It's, a, it's probably the most open World Cup I've, I've witnessed. Um, and I'm really looking forward to see how the how, the, how it all pans out. But uh, you know, we're only, we're only in week one, we're only match one. Uh, it's exciting already. Some fantastic rugby being played. Some great individual players out there. Uh, and it's only going to get bigger and better as the tournament goes on. But um, you know, I still can't call this one.
2: Fiji uh, naturally will will be very disappointed from that. But yeah, the prospects of that game on Sunday. Could you see them beating Australia? I think mean, Australia got that win over Georgia, and Georgia have been playing quite well.
3: Oh, look, yeah, definitely, um, you know, Georgia are always a, a, a tough, sticky opponent, opponent to play first, um, you don't really know what to expect, they're renowned for their forward play and and, and, and their aggression up front, but they do have a bit of uh, pace and a bit of flair behind as well, and I think Australia did all the right things, they played the right rugby, played in the right areas, uh, took their points and tries when they came, and, and it was a good, tough first match, which is exactly what you need, and... Uh, you know it's an interesting pool now, isn't it? All of a sudden, but um, you know, going back to what you asked earlier, with with Wales, one game under their belt, one win, it, it's it might sound like a really silly thing to say, but you win the first game, you know, you 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 heading towards the quarterfinals. Um, they won't be looking that far ahead, I can assure you, because Australia are gonna and it could be a ma- uh, certainly a match. But uh, you know, like I said earlier, the, the likes of Australia in Fiji, Fiji beat. Uh, Australia ne- next week. Now is going to open it all up massively, and uh, and then also in Australia, I chase, I chase into get out of that pool. So, you know, that's that's what a World Cup's all about, really. But um, you know, there's a there's a number of teams just within that pool that can go very far in this competition.
2: J- just two final ones to finish. Wh- which players in this Wales side are you? Who you're sort of most excited by not just based on last night but coming into the tournament? I mean, Jack Morgan's obviously for a young captain, doing doing well, sort of handling that and still d- delivering in good performances. Who else sort of excites you in this side?
3: Yeah, well, um, it's you know, it's it's always going to be the the wingers for me. I'm a, I'm a, a big Louis Samit van. Um, you know, we saw a couple of opportunities. Uh, he had a couple of opportunities on last night to to kind of find some space, but you can see he's, he's hungry to get involved. Probably doesn't get enough ball um, as he as as he should, uh, in my opinion. Um, but I think that'll come as the tournament comes on, when the games open up. You know, any kind of space, th- this man is absolute lightning. So uh, you know, I want to see him get involved a little bit more. Um, and I, I, I suppose it's you know we mentioned Jack Morgan, but if you be interesting to see how he goes, and Dewi Lake, both of them as, as co-captain. I we'll want to see Dewi Lake get involved in in the World Cup as it goes on. I know he's had a couple of injuries and then niggles afterwards Um, but he was out there warming up before the match and um, was looking good, he was looking lean he was looking big, he was that anyway you know he's a big man, he's a strong man Uh, but he's someone that Warren Gatlin has looked at now as as an inspiration to the others and a leader, Um, but you can only do that when you're on the field so um, hopefully now Dewey Lake gets fit and we can see him involved in the next match
2: That was Shane Williams, really appreciate him taking the time to chat to me the morning after that crazy game in Bordeaux I um, just wanted to touch on the the sort of end, the midway through the second half, and the the discipline point that I think riled a lot of people up and led to a lot of people ac- accusing kind of referee Matthew Carley of maybe being a bit unfair to Fiji. Fiji, Fiji flanker Takitabi was yellow carded for collapsing a all. It, it, I think the prob- problem people have is that that yellow card for collapsing a wall is probably is fair enough. Stonewall because. Moor starts on a 20, he comes in at the side when it gets to about the 6-metre line and collapses it. You know, the mall's probably going to be a try, but it's not close enough for Matthew Kyler to feel that he should award a penalty try, so he gives him a yellow card. You can't really argue with that. Maybe in a very unlikely situation he could have said, right, that's one, and you're getting a warning. But it it was almost too cynical. I think the issue that people have is before that, you've got Wales up the other end of the field defending on their own line. And you've got three penalties for offside. The middle one from bigger is pretty cynical coming through when the ball, you know, mm. like th- that's pretty blatant right under the posts. And then the other two penalties are by the same player, Elliot D. And all three penalties are offside. Now we often see if you if a team's backed up like that and it's different offences. So say, say one player comes in the side, one player doesn't roll away, um, uh, you know, and one player's offside. You often see refs not give a yellow card because they're like, right, it's not the same offence, so I'm not gonna, you know, not mm-hmm. gonna send you off. But th- I think three offsides in a row in that
0: area. Do you have to give a warning? Can you? Can you well, for no. persistent offending, can you? Can you just go? That's persistent offending. See you.
1: I mean, there's nothing in the in the laws about it, but you, that'd be very rare. Mm-hmm. I think for for a referee to yellow card someone for persistent offending without having given them a warning would be eventually rare.
0: I don't know whether he's tucking in his shirt, but I thought he was. Gonna go for the on the third one. It looked like initially on the telly,
1: and they were lucky to not have one at the end as well. Was it Liam Williams? Liam Williams offside at at the end. Um, I mean, when they'd already had the warning, they'd already had the yellow card. Fiji pushing, um, pushing for the win, and and Wales infringed. I mean, they were were lucky to not have one there. I mean, I think yes, um, there's sort of two strands here. Yes, I think Wales got away with one there, Um, but did it? Did it affect the result of the game? We'll never know there as you touched on Colsey, there are there are two different sort of things at play here that a lot of the sort of comments and, and and narrative and reaction on twitter has been how can that f- fiji yellow be correct if wales didn't also have a yellow card and i don't i'm not sure that's a that's an avenue we should be going down either because you know two wrongs don't make a right the fiji one was completely stonewall it was very cynical it was borderline penalty try whereas none of the wales ones were quite as cynical, and you wouldn't have been debating a penalty try for any of the Welsh offences, for instance. No, you, no, you wouldn't have said penalty um, try. The, um, the bigger one is pretty cynical. It is, it is pretty cynical. Oh, watch,
2: watching it back, given it's, where Fiji are right under the post, it's the, sort of like...
1: The Wales one is is, is for a, a build-up of, of indiscipline, is, is why, why the yellow should yeah. have come, rather than any sort of out-and-out out offence. And that is different. And maybe, um, maybe, given how difficult the referee's job is yeah. now, and the fact that they have... Uh, two assistant referees, a TMO and two people in the bunker helping them out. Maybe someone could have just got in uh, Matthew Carley's ear and just said if he'd lost track, that's three penalties for uh, offside down here against Wales yeah. now just to remind him if he'd lost track because I can imagine, you know, they, these are human, these referees. That the, it is the best crop of referees in terms of their physical attributes and their mental training that the game has ever seen, but they are human and human error they will never, ever be flawless. Yeah,
2: yeah. To cl- yeah, to clarify what I tweeted at the time, it wasn't a wild yellow card for the for the Fiji flank. It was just wild that it had happened. Oh, yeah. After yeah. Wales, no, literally up the other end of the field and got away with it. The irony. And, and as things, as these things work out, Bigger doesn't get yellow carded, bangs like a brilliant 50-22 down the field and they get the line out. And then from the mall, who scores? It's D. It's just giving away two offside penalties. <laughs> like... You know, you couldn't write it. And then, yeah, and then Corey Dobichowski for his yellow card straight afterwards for the offside, for offside where Carly's like, that's a warning, gives away the stupidest one of the lot, arguably. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's refereeing. Hope we've cleared that up a bit. Um, just wanted to have a quick word on, on Dan Bigger, who was uh, fully revved up, like to the max, 10 out of 10. This made more sense afterwards, didn't it, Charles, when we sort of heard from Warren Gatland and from, from Bigger himself?
1: Uh, yeah, so afterwards... Um, obviously there was that moment at half time where wales uh for some reason when fiji knocked on in the, in the wales Can't 22 wild, wales thought that it was on it was on with the clock in the red half time leading they thought it was on um and they sort of butcher a bit of a a counter attack that was never really on uh get pushed into touch and bigger marches over storms over to george north and gives him the proper what for Uh, has a real go at him. Uh, I think he has a bit of verbal at Nick Tompkins on the floor as well. Storms into the changing rooms. Him and Neil Jenkins are going at it as well. Um, And then afterwards, Gatland and Bigger are both asked about it. Gatland said he had no problem with it whatsoever. He actually quite liked it. And Bigger said, uh, yeah, just all sort of water off the duck's back. George and I have had these robust conversations for the past 15 years, and we, we were laughing and joking afterwards, and it wasn't even mentioned.
0: I loved that. It should be said that he was probably lucky to escape a sanction for that tackle on Samir Andrajew, which was very mm. upright, wasn't it? <laughs> wasn't oh, it? Yes. But that moment, it was it, it was a fifty meter bollocking, wasn't it? Because oh, obviously it yeah. happened in yeah. close to Wales' try line, but he just kept going for the for the whole way all, uh, to the tunnel, which uh, which was on halfway. Um, his reaction to his own fifty twenty two great as well. <laughs> yeah. Just love that that heart on the sleeve stuff is is why we watch it, and those guys are. Um, in the in the the most intense environment imaginable, um, so that emotion is is just great to see. I know
2: I know he um, he rubs some people up the wrong the wrong way, but I think we'll all miss him when he when he sort of retires For from sure. internationals after after this tournament. <laughs> Let's jump to the other games. We'll start with France against New Zealand. Uh, Charles, just just give us a a flavour of the atmosphere and and as. And, and actually, particularly as France sort of edged further and further ahead, and everyone was like, "Ah, it's all right. We, we're going to be okay." H- how was it? First half,
1: ooh, nervy, mm. real nervy, real cagey, gripping, compelling. No one, even in the kick tennis battles, that's the most compelling kick tennis I think I've ever watched. Nobody t- could take their eyes off it. It was you could. It was, it was elec- the atmosphere was electric, but the game didn't really spark until. Well, in terms of the atmosphere, because obviously New Zealand scored the first try and stunned the crowd. That was It was silent at the Stade de France after that try. The game didn't really sort of kick to life from a host point of view until the second half. And then they did sort of run away with it a bit, didn't they? I mean, the first half, New Zealand, the, 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 the fear, the fear in, a, in a sort of wider picture is that New Zealand looked half decent. Certainly in that first half, looked decent. Um, and France didn't, really. They were a bit... Subpar, par and have still won by 14 points and actually even in the first half where New Zealand looked much the better side, France went in at half-time leading and once that happened you were sort of like well, we all know what's happening here This isn't the most
0: uh, sharp tactical insight that you'll ever get but it lo- looked like New Zealand was just missing a bit of biff. They had... They had no a couple of, couple of clever... No Sean Frizzell. They had a couple of really clever bits, didn't they? For the first try, that little short ball that sends Rico Iwani through and then Bowden Barrett's kick pass to Talaya and then Ardi Surveyor's chip from first mm. phase was so intelligent mm. um, and really deceptive. Then they just sort of, allow, as as teams do against, against France and South Africa, teams have got a good kicking game, go hard at the defensive breakdown and are just robust, got a lot of big men. They just couldn't find a foothold. And I think that was what Ian Foster was saying afterwards, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, and I think I think France actually lacked that as well in the first half. And I think they realised because obviously Dante wasn't fit. Moafana played at 12 and the um, jury's still out on him as an international 12. No Valenza, no Dante. No Valenza, no Dante. Two big blokes. So I think when they took Wilkie off and brought Telfi Fanua on, yeah. And when they moved Fico to twelve and brought Vanson on, suddenly they were getting over the gain line more frequently. They had a stronger bench than New Zealand's, and that's I think why there was a fourteen point gap by the end of it. Um, I think which could have been more because I think that that uh, Peno try with the amazing R- Ramos offload. Um, I think if they'd have looked at that uh, closer, I think that was not backed by New Zealand. So it could have even been a twenty-one point victory for France. Damian Did, Peno's
0: grin—it mm. should be terrifying for other teams because if if a host if a host side with that much talent is not sort of one of the only chances i think you've got that they slip up is this expectation weighing on them and with him i don't know whether as a collective it might be different but that was one thing we were worried about wasn't it that that sort of that sort of um expectation weighing heavy and benno just looked like he was
1: strolling around can you imagine coaching him at sort of schoolboy level and going no damian run straight Run straight. Nah. Up. Okay, no, no, no. You don't need to actually. You just do what you like. No need. I can't remember. No I can't remember who player of the match was. Was it Aldrin? Uh Yeah. yeah but yeah, and sure. f- for for my two pence worth by a country mile. Was outstanding. He really was completely outplayed Ardi Savier as well. Uh, not that it's not that that's how it works in a sort of one-on-one battle. But if you were to take the new the two number eights, mentioning um, that severe chip actually quite a good weekend for Rose.
2: Um, oh King, yeah, because you had that. And you had Jack Morgan's. Um, Crossfield kick to reset it. Where Jack Morgan afterwards just said, "Yeah, it was meant to be um, meant to go to Biggs, but but I was there, <laughs> so got <laughs> yes. really thought cool. I'd complete the set play move." Beno with cool. a couple as well. Although Beno's yeah. one yeah.
0: probably slightly overhit on the on the far touchline, line, um, might have stayed in. But just nice that these players, if they if they're you know, there's the conviction, and they I think it's going to be a theme: is players with the conviction to find space, however they can find
1: space. That's what makes good attacks. Oh, there was a chip from Movaca as well, from France down the touchline yes. early on. Oh, and that leads us on to uh, another another little prediction failure, and this time it is on my on my part. I had uh, Julien Marchand as player of the tournament as my prediction. He, time. He's gone after 16 minutes. Yeah, Few. that's
2: uh, we'll let you off though if it's injuries. I well, think that's yeah. I think that's okay. It's more for form falling off a cliff
0: <laughs> where, where those goals <laughs> but, look a bit silly. I think but I think they've my, dropped him from the squad because his <laughs> yeah, forms fell off a cliff. Exactly. <laughs> my prediction for player of the tournament, Vili LaRue, was after about 24 hours after recording was named on the bench. So. Okay, great. We need <laughs> we need a whole pod at
2: some point just to chat about your love of Villarreal because because it's always been there but it's it's accelerating rapidly yeah. as we have got to this World Cup. Speaking of Villarreal and South Africa, that's a lovely segue, Charlie, to Marseille and Sunday's game. All just not for South Africans, obviously. All just a little bit disappointing that we didn't quite get got a first half humdinger and then the second half Scotland just really faded quite badly
0: didn't they Scotland's forwards in the first half were phenomenal That the, the more, a mall stop at around I think it was half an hour and then that led I think I can't remember how they were sort of dotted around that mall stop but two really big scrum penalties that is so impressive to be doing that um against the box and I think they might even have got a little bit more out of that scrum battle I think a couple they were probably hard done by on a couple of calls um South Africa did really... Finn Russell was really well contained. Um, Jesse Creel should have be, should have gone very early on for that high tackle on Dempsey. That's the reddest red out of the incidents that we saw this weekend. I think he's, oh, he's always, yeah, always upright. He's pressing aggressively in that channel because that was clearly part of the game plan and we know that because subsequently he was doing that and that was actually doing a really good job of cutting off Finn Russell's options.
1: Um, I think he and should yet, have gone. Not and yet... We understand not even a sighting.
0: Not even a sighting, no. So um,
1: Richard Smith might be able to
0: use that to Curry's advantage. So we We get get why you're confused at home. of course. Basically. Mm. Of course. Notwithstanding, South Africa's... um, The connection in South Africa's defence, how they're reading one another, how they are uh, scrambling um, is, is really, really impressive. If it's a different game, if Scotland take their chances, obviously, and Darcy Graham should should have fed uh, Duane van der Merwe off that really clever little swivel from two piloto that, that um, breaks them breaks South Africa from the line out. Um, but in that second half, when it's just so difficult to contain that South Africa um, power from, the, from the bench, because they just replenish that front row and it's really, really difficult. It was, it was kind of a bitty game because of the, because of the conditions making it difficult to, to handle. Um, but kind of, kind of, a, almost like a slow burning, so burner, sort of quite fascinating one, nonetheless.
2: Mm. I was going to say, does eighteen three do South Africa a bit of a disservice for how in control they were? Or do you reckon? I don't
0: know a because Scotland right? missed, because Scotland missed those chances, yeah. and South Africa took them. They took them. They, they, the uh, Toy try rewards that period of dominance that they have, which is a really good reaction at the start of the second half. And Libox no look kick pass to to Orenza is is frankly stunning Um, Phil, can I just
2: ask for a general assessment on him and how he played because obviously there's a lot of intrigue in him with with Andre Pollard Um, back training with Leicester seemingly unfit but not in the World Cup squad unless an injury happens so Libich is is the man at the moment how
0: did he how did he look really interesting his whippy passing game gives South Africa width that has kind of epitomized how they've how they've gone about this four four year cycle and one thing that they really wanted to get better at because it just facilitates others and, and gives them, just makes you have to spread the field in in, in defence. His his, and and that kick pass game, he he'd lobbed one over Graham, I think, with his left foot really early on in the game. So again, you're on as a as an opposing wing, you have to be on alert. Um, and with Colby and Arenza, they can hold that width and, and punish you if if the, the if the decision making of the defensive wings is a little bit off. The T might become a problem, but what was the... Sorry, his kicking from the T might become a problem, and Faf de Don't Klerk... You know, the actual T. <laughs> and then, <laughs> then Faf de sorry. Klerk took over um, later on in the game. Um, what was really interesting was during the, during the press conference, there was a completely fair question, I thought, about the Box kicking and whether South Africa would have to adapt, whether that would, be, would become a problem... Um, Jacqueline Narber answered the question, saying it's not a problem if he's man of the match, which I'm sure he would should have been man of the match anyway. But by the bye. and then Sia Khaleesi stepped in after there'd been a second question, saying, "Can I just go back to the question of on Manny's kicking? Um, this game is about sort of being a team and um, covering for once for, for other people's faults." And he said, "Look, I sometimes don't know what I'm calling in the lineup. I've got Etzabeth and Dwayne Vermeulen to sort of to to." talk me around the field when that happens it was a real I don't know whether it was a set piece I don't know whether he had in his head that he was going to say that but it was just a really impressive piece of leadership by Sia Um that said it probably doesn't change the fact that South Africa need to kick their goals mm. um, or will need to kick their goals later on in the when tournament
2: when it gets down to, to crunch time um, just to finish the round up with Ireland against Romania which I watched in, in Bordeaux and yeah Ireland yeah fine Kind kind of expected we'd spoken about Romania's um, pretty disastrous form coming into this tournament because they shipped 56 points to Georgia and 57 to Italy so it was almost like well are Ireland going to get 100? And, and at one point it, it looked as though they might do. but Romania actually to their credit had spells of, of defence where they where they kept Ireland out for like 10, 15 well. minutes. Well, well I was like,
1: say also at one point it looked like Ireland might lose. So, <laughs> what?
2: Well yeah I mean within the first two minutes I mean obviously the focus was on Sexton and, and like how was Sexton going to go and and it was a bit, it was a bit unfortunate that that grubber kick that he was sent towards the right wing looking for Keith Ellis just, just was failed perfectly for the Romanian fly half to be like, Oh, amazing. Thanks so much. I'll pick this up and like run it down the, the touch side and give it to the scrum half Ripani to, to score a try. Um, so yeah, Romania had the perfect start. And actually that was almost quite nice. Cause you were like, Oh, well at least you've had this because you know, now Ireland can <laughs> sort of take you to the cleaners a little bit, which they did. Um, Aki was awesome, uh, and I know it really was. I know you can't sort of, you maybe shouldn't read too much into it given the opposition, but he was just brilliant. Look
0: sharp, look sharp. He looked sharp in the England game as well, didn't he? Yeah, Th- there
2: is sort of that mini twelve debate, isn't there for Ireland of, of do you go with Aki or Henshaw to, to partner Ringrose mm. and, and Henshaw? Does ring Ringrose ring have to start? Do you think? Well. They've, they've, I can't. I'm struggling to remember the last time that they went Aki Henshaw off the top of my head. England, but but England, it's not. It's England not England alien. Like games. It, it
1: yeah, does not mm-hmm. I, do, I, th- I think uh, they like Ring Rose. Aki couldn't even get in the t- uh, in the squad a year ago. What a what a what a, rene- what a sort of well, was, a, was what was a comeback
2: that, was that a bit of subtle like. I don't know, Eddie slash Steve Borthwick-esque man management of like, mm. no, you're not in the squad. Go away and work on things.
1: Yeah, probably. Come, come back. But if and, it was, it's worked.
2: I mean, he he, he looked sensational. Um, Joe McCarthy, the young lock is really fun. He got a try and he's kind of looks like he's part of the 23 now. I mean, he's as close to a bolter, I guess, as they've got in the squad because he mm. came into the setup quite late. But he looks really handy. Yeah, they were just... It was mainly being impressed by Aki... And watching Sexton and and seeing how Sexton went and yeah, apart from that early mistake, you, you know, passing was slick, tackle well. He scored two tries. Can't remember the last time Johnny Sexton scored two tries in a test.
1: Um, Crash ball for the second one as well. Yeah, it? yeah, off a <laughs> short, off a short do, ball. Do, um, um, do they beat? Do they beat South Africa?
2: I I can't wait for it. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. Oh yeah, there was nothing here to make you think no, and and uh, and even though South Africa's power is is sort of unrelenting. I I still yeah, I I I could see Ireland winning that. Yeah, I I think they I feel actually they they just look pretty slick I, I all aggr- round. I
1: agree, which means we've got we we that means fr- fr- on the back of those predictions. We're looking at Ireland New Zealand quarter with France against France South Africa probably. Yeah. Can't wait! Goodness me! Really excited.
2: It's early days. Just, just one final thing in the game. It was almost funny watching James Lowe run around and just be completely unable to get a try. Like he try, tried on the left wing, and, and Arlen would break through, and he'd just be there, like me now, like pass to me, <laughs> and then they cut inside <laughs> and score. And then frisk- he switched to the right at the end and was like just not in the breakaways and was just running around going, oh, I'm not gonna." I'm not going to get it. I had vested interest with my fancy team so I was sort of waiting
0: for it. I had Ooh. Keith Owls in my fancy team ah, and okay. I was watching he, he was a couple of balls slipped out of his hands in the opposition 22 and I was yeah just sad. Um,
2: Very very final point the, the final Ireland try Klopp was in the red they were in their own 22 Matt Hanson was running around as Andy Farrell said like he was playing under 12s <laughs> and, and they scored an awesome breakaway try probably their best of the lot I thought that was pretty cool like that intent to play and yeah they look good. They look like the number one side in the world. I know that's a really obvious thing to say, but mm. they look yeah, they look good. Okay, some of your questions and thoughts. Thank you very much for sending in what I think we decided was a record number of, of questions af- after the opening weekend. So we really appreciate it. Thank you very much. We've just um, we've cherry-picked a few, and we're starting with a question from Mark, who says, I need Charles Richardson's take on getting asked after by Eddie Jones is this the
1: start of a beautiful friendship? Charles, Charles, tell us what's going on with you and Eddie. Are you your best buds? Yeah, it might be the start of a beautiful friendship. We'll wait and see how it plays out. Thank you to, thank you to everybody who has uh, bombarded me with messages and, uh, feedback over the past 48 hours, asking me if I'm going to uppercut myself and telling me how much I've been mugged off. And Although there is someone who said, um, who, who went into bat for me and said, uh, Eddie, uh, Charles will come and watch you if you get out of the group. So um, <laughs> that, was, that was quite nice. Um, if you're unaware of the context of this, in the post-match press conference um, again, for Australia v. Georgia on Saturday, um, Eddie asked where I was after I asked a question on Thursday in his pre-match press conference that he didn't really like very much. The irony being that I was actually at the Australia-Georgia game and thought that Australia looked quite handy and wrote as much in the pages of the Daily Telegraph and on the Telegraph Sport website. I wrote that before the press conference and actually because the press conference had been delayed so much and was clashing with the England match and it was just at the moment where Tom Curry was being sent off, I wasn't in the room. Um... I was sort of hiding around the corner, but if I'd have known um, that he was going to call me out so publicly, I would have hung around um, to respond to him. And now I feel like, um, yeah, I feel like I've let down the, the global rugby fraternity.
2: Really like the idea of you walking back into the press room and like some fireworks going off and your theme music hitting. And that would have gone viral <laughs> coming down the uh, coming down <laughs> the ramp to uh, to address him. Let's actually hear some audio of that moment right now.
3: So maybe Luke Pearce liked us. Where was that? Where's that Pommy bloke from? uh, Where was he from? Daily Telegraph.
0: One of my favourite newspapers. Where's he? He's not here today. I bet if we lost, he'd be here. Might have to send him an invitation. Know his name? Charles. Charles, Charles, are you out there, mate? No. Okay.
2: Um, Our next question is from Jim, who asks, was Tom Curry's red card the Johnny Bairstow, Alex Carey moment? can they get Can they get crossed without a similar incident? That's true. Like, do England basically need to be affronted by something? I mean, they love a red card.
0: To then sort of, you know... A couple of things here. First, it reminds me a little bit of David Brent and faking his high blood pressure. Um, second, second, I bumped Ooh, no. into Dimitri Yashvili, who said, I don't think England win that game without the red card because it focuses their game plan on, on kick chase and everything like that. And that is an interesting point. You'd hope that they now clear up they've shown now that they don't need to potentially be um, intense to the point of reckless because they can be really really disciplined and they can be hard nosed at the same time and they can really have that intent and that intensity um, so you'd hope that it can be a spur actually for them because they can do it in a controlled way and they can ca- so they can certainly carry out a tactical plan um, so yeah absolutely I think it is think it's quite, a, quite an interesting comparison from Jim it's like a fascinating parallel universe,
2: isn't it? What, what? How do England play out if they don't have a red card and they're fifteen players? Do they try and do what they? I, I feel like they'd be better in defence and probably better at set piece, and they probably still
1: win. But I'd love to know how <laughs> they, Will they win yeah. 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 yeah, No, I think actually the, the, the sort of the burning question is is do, does George Ford drop all those goals if they've still got fifteen? Yeah. I'd love yeah. to. I'd love to know that. I would love to know that. We'll never know. Well. We might find out against Japan, where if they keep 15 players on the field and George Ford kicks three drop goals, then that'll answer the question, I guess. But then, no, we still won't know because that might have come, might be the butterfly effect, and it's come from what happened in Argentina. We will never know. I touched on it
2: earlier. If he doesn't break De Beer's record in this World Cup by landing six drop goals, very, very disappointed. Um, the Next question is from SB Keane who says the new longer—well, it's more of a more of a uh, a comment. Uh, the new longer World Cup format is rubbish, and there are too many days off. It loses momentum and lets negative takes grow, need to expand to 24 teams and bring back midweek games. So basically what's happening now is that we had Wales Fiji kick off on Sunday night at 8pm UK time and it's going to be 96 hours until we get France-Uruguay on or Thursday night at the same time. So you've got this sort of three-day three day breathing space is how I would almost describe it to sort of process what's happened and look ahead. But obviously, in past World Cups, we've had games on Tuesdays and games on Wednesdays. And how do we sort of feel, Charlie? I come to you first. How do we sort of feel about this this sort of down period between I, games?
0: I think it's a really fair point. I think for a couple of reasons. First of all, first off, I really think that uh, point about negativity growing is is really important. Um, and then the second one is actually quite like, and you've got to say this obviously. Obviously, with the caveat that player welfare is really important, but I quite like how the short turnarounds cause cause teams to sort of juggle as the resources within their thirty three man squad. Um, yeah, so two reasons why I quite quite like that take.
1: Yeah, I'm all for it too. Um, obviously, the the obvious reservations and obvious drawbacks to, to a twenty four team tournament are. Um, are, you know, sort of equality, landslide wins, are 24 teams ready, um, safety issues. But then we've just seen Ireland put 80 points on Romania. So we've got them anyway. So why, why not broaden it out to 24 teams um, and maybe allow sort of... Spain, Chile to have their day because Chile Chile playing another d- d- developing, emerging nation and beating them would actually probably be massive for Chile in rugby, but they're probably not going to get that opportunity at, at this World Cup, are they? I mean, fingers crossed they do, but I, I, now that they've lost to Japan, I, I can't see them doing it.
2: Yeah, I think if you're getting shorter turnarounds, you need bigger squads. So you need like 38, 39-player squads so that you can actually properly rotate players and you're not burning them out in short windows, which I appreciate is more more logistics and less fun when it comes to squad cutdowns. But actually it means that you're protecting players and not, and not flogging them sort of too much during those games. Um, and just the very final one from Elliot, um, he says it's slightly punchy, but given the weekend was dominated by TMO debates is the answer to just to have less TMO involvement. Most people accept 99% of refereeing calls. Maybe. <laughs> However, since the TMOs remit has increased the control, so is the controversy go back to TMO's deciding tries only. I mean, Friday night we had a game where, um, the France-New Zealand game, where it felt like replays were, were scarce and, and TMO, involve, TMO involvement was quite light at, at times and, and Jakob Paper was sort of just like letting stuff go and letting the game flow a bit. So,
0: is that what we like? My fear is that it leads to more clips of breakdown side entries and people going, well, have you seen this? This was in the lead up to the x try and that should have been picked up.
1: That would be my fear. But is that not because we have a culture of over-analysis and micro-analysis and and, and magnifying glasses at the minute, whereas if we stripped it back and and, and the whole culture of the sport and the whole rugby-playing fan base was able to accept mistakes more frequently, then I think it's fine. I'm all for this, for the record, and I've written it today in the Telegraph and on the Telegraph website that I think that, that... rugby is micromanaged it's it's too it's overly refereed it's over-officiated I would strip back the TMO completely um to foul play and egregious try scoring errors other than that maybe not even that maybe just foul play um I would have because it would it would cause a, a lot of controversy and a big storm at the start but then as soon as people got used to it as soon as people realized that actually referees are human, they are not flawless and there are going to be mistakes no matter how many TMOs, no matter how many referees we have, there are always going to be mistakes and as soon as a rugby playing public and us <laughs> come to terms with that um, I think it will be better for the game long term um, because there are always going to be errors, look at James N- Lowe in the Six Nations look at that France pass for the second uh, New Zealand try the, Sorry, the, the, the pass for the second New Zealand try against France on Friday night was forward, not picked up these things are always going to continue, and we've got so many eyeballs on everything, so much technology, and yet they're, st- they're still there. They're still dominating the narrative. So a
2: bit more rub of the green, basically. Yeah. And and, and eventually everyone will accept that, you know, the universe balances out. Quite. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a good proposal. Right, that is it for today. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, Charles. Um, what is your respective... Schedules for the week ahead. I'm going to be in non on the Saturday for Ireland against Tonga, and then Sanetti on Sunday for Australia Fiji, which could be quite lively.
1: Charlie, what are you going to be doing? Nice for me, get to watch Portugal against Wales, Ooh. and then England Japan. I'm steering the ship from London this weekend for my sins, but actually, I've had ten days in Europe, and I'm actually quite glad of uh, just sort of a few days. Um, I wouldn't quite say rest and recuperation, but sort of a more chilled out few days after a very, very hectic fortnight. Are you buying that Charles is happy to be out of France? Because I'm not, for a, for a split second, actually. We're back soon enough. <laughs> with, a he, with a heavy heart.
2: Um, a big thank you to Shane Williams, our guest this week, and we'll be bringing you more big-name interviews throughout the tournament, so please make sure that you spread the word to the rugby fans in your life and, and check out the podcast and subscribe. Enjoy all the action this weekend. We'll catch you next week, but until then, from all three of us, thank you and goodbye we <laughs>